0: Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada.
1: This episode is brought to you by Goodyear Eagle Enforcer, the recognized leader for police pursuit tires. Goodyear has the tires and technology to help your police fleet perform at its best. No matter the weather, pursue confidently. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renee Francaire, the editor of Blue Line Magazine. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're speaking with Helen Escott, a retired RCMP civilian member and best selling author from her home base in St. John's, Newfoundland. Helen created the RCMP's Media Relations Communications Unit in Newfoundland, Labrador in 1998. She became the first senior female senior communications strategist and media relations spokesperson for the RCMP in that province. She was the communications lead on high-profile events, including the RCMP's Newfoundland and Labrador response on 9-11. She also wrote and implemented the Atlantic Region communication strategies to take down organized crime and outlaw biker gangs. She was also the only communications strategist asked to teach the media relations course for senior management and RCMP members at the Canadian Police College in Ottawa. Aside from that, she's also a steadfast decorated volunteer and the owner slash writer of I Am Funny Like That, a blog turned book with over 200,000 readers. For anyone who has crawled out of a spin class, that might have been me a few months ago, and lived to tell the tale, she has a hilarious account on that blog, so check it out for a laugh. Helen, thank you for coming on the podcast as part of our Women in Law Enforcement series. Welcome.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: This is an exciting time for you. I mean, you've just published, or are set to publish, your second crime thriller, Operation Vanished, which shines a spotlight on missing and murdered women. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you so much. And I know you said this book was an opportunity um, to rely on your years of rich experience as a civilian member of the RCMP. So you've got to tell me more about how you channeled that experience, uh, you know, and used your networks for this research. Tell me about it.
0: Well, I had the honor of working with some amazing police officers uh, through some of the biggest investigations. And, you know, I'm thinking about Newfoundland's response to 9-11, which, of course, is now a Broadway play. It's also in Australia, London, and Toronto. Who would have thought 9-11 would be a Broadway play? And, mm. you know, numerous murder and drug investigations. The normal type of police work. And I know that police officers, you know, I work with, came to the job really wanting to help people and, and do a great job. And that's what inspired me every day
1: incredible were, were there any um, true life anecdotes that you you look to in particular for operation vanish
0: oh yeah i worked uh you know i, I worked with a lot of um uh great police officers and there's a, a character in my book her name is corporal gail mcnaughton and she is named after, uh, two RCMP officers, who's the first is, um, RCMP Staff Sergeant Gail Courtney, who's retired now, and she was in the first female class for the RCMP. She was also one of the first Newfoundland, uh, women to join, and Inspector Chris McNutton, who, uh, you know, was a, an amazing investigator that I, I got to work with. And, uh, I worked with them for years. Gail actually hired me and Chris mentored me, so they both changed the direction of my life. Dramatically, so this book is a way of honoring them and women like them.
1: Amazing! Wow, H- have they read the book? I gotta ask.
0: Oh yeah, I, actually, I just gave uh, Chris a copy of the book last night, so she's she's very excited about it. But she had read uh, the first draft and really loved it.
1: That's so cool. So, can you elaborate a little bit more on how um, they put their shoulders to the glass ceiling? I know you you've said that in one of your news releases, and they and they shattered it for the rest of us.
0: Oh yeah well I was you know I was at an Atlantic Women in Law Enforcement conference in St John's you know years ago and a reporter asked uh Chris McNaughton about her challenges with the glass ceiling as a police officer and she responded with ask me about any of the investigations I've done. Ask me about the difference I made in the communities I policed in. Ask me the questions you would ask a man. And then I realized that sometimes we put the glass ceiling over our own shoulders. And I watched how they did that. And they never looked up at a glass ceiling. They kept their nose to the grindstone and they did an amazing job.
1: Truly inspirational. No, it's uh uh, we can't have enough of those uh, women around us, surrounding us, and and spreading the awareness. Um, so thank you for, for doing that. Uh, you mentioned they were two of the best investigators you'd ever worked with. So So for you, in your personal opinion, what makes an investigator one of the best?
0: Well, I think the obvious traits of being a good communicator and having the knowledge and the skills to do your job And, you know, there's also an aspect of controlling your emotions. But at the same time, having empathy for those affected by crime. It always, um, and I think women do that differently. I think we look at the world differently. And, you know, when we have a victim of crime, we tend to look at the whole family. You know, if it's a woman, we, we might, you know, actually relate to her and, and you know, her children or, you know, the situation she's in. I think women just bring emotion to the job, not in a bad way, but in a very good way.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. And, and we need to celebrate those traits. I, I completely agree with you there. Um, so... Operation Wormwood, your first book, uh, looked at a mystery, um, there was disease involved, uh, a doctor was a, partnering up with a police officer. Uh, Operation Vanished is a little bit different. You, you do shine the spotlight on missing and murdered women, um, which is extremely t- uh, timely with the inquiry that's gone on, uh, with various other news outlets and what they're covering and how they're covering it. So, you know, why was it important to um, tackle this, this very important and difficult Uh, topic for you.
0: I knew after Operation Wormwood that I wanted to go in a completely different direction because that book did deal with the sexual abuse of children and I kind of needed a break from that and I had been researching some historical files and came across a lot that had to do with missing and murdered women and also the cultural belief in Newfoundland we have of uh, the theories which you know it comes back to our Irish and English and Scottish heritage, as we have a huge belief in in the fairy culture here. And um, how when a woman went missing, they'd say, oh, the fairies took her away. Or if a woman, you know, if a child had been missing and came back five days later and was completely clean and, you know, on her, seen unharmed, but couldn't speak, they'd say, oh, the fairies had them for five days. But when I go back, you know, that would be the 1950s attitude. But when I go back, you know, with 2019 eyes, and look at that and you know, go. Somebody had that child for five days, or you know, somebody killed that woman. That's what happened, and so it, it started to interest me. So, you know, once I read those files, they all seemed to have the same theme about them, and that got my attention. And then I started to work with that.
1: I love that. Uh, you know, that you also tie in then the, a bit of mythology and and kind of rewriting that uh, in a in a modern way, and. And tying it into today's uh, news, quite honestly. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's take a look back at your phenomenal career with the RCMP. Uh, it was about 20 years, right? Uh, 17 and a half years. So, how did you how did you even find your way into law enforcement media relations? Was it was it kind of an end goal, a lifelong dream? Because I know you you were in marketing beforehand.
0: I think it was just serendipity. I had worked in the media uh, for 10 years. I was uh, an on-air personality and I did promotion. And my husband is a police officer. He's retired from the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. So when the RCMP first advertised for a media relations person, he's the one who encouraged me to apply. And I, I believe 133 people applied and I got the job. So I think it was just one of those things that uh, the universe wanted to happen.
1: <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. You got to trust the universe now and then, right? Oh, yeah. So what kind of challenges did you have to tackle because you were the first female senior communications strategist at your division? Well,
0: I think there was a lot. I I don't think any of the challenges had to do with being female because they they were quite willing to to work with me. But at that time, the RCMP had gone through a brutal program review where they almost lost the contract uh, for policing in Newfoundland and Labrador. And one of the things that came out of that review was the communities they policed and their political masters didn't know what the RCMP did from day to day because they kept everything close to their chest and everything was no comment when the media came around. And so there was very little in the media, even about the most basic of crimes. I mean, there could be a break and enter or a soar overnight and there was no comment. And uh, so there was also not a lot of communications between management and the front line or even among the districts themselves. So I really had to start at the, I really had to build a foundation for communications. So I started... Uh, you know, at the beginning, and I had to pry open those lines of communications, you know, which I did through internal newsletters and among other things, and, um, and, and started the districts talking to each other, and started to encourage them to share the good work that they were doing. And once one district put up a story, then the other one was like, well, we're doing that too. So and then the next month, I'd, I'd have two districts, and then I'd have three districts. And so I spent a lot of time out on the road talking to the members on the front line and asking for their opinions and ideas because policing was new to me at the time. So I really needed to hear from the experts and those experts were out in the patrol cars every day. And I realized our members were being told to talk to the media, but they were never given any media training. And their biggest fear was what if I say something wrong? I'll be fired, I could lose, you know, I could totally taint to an investigation, so they wouldn't speak. So one of the things I did was I created a media relations course and set out to train as many members as I could. And at the time, it was also the beginning of social media, so I had to drag the RCNT kicking and screaming into the early days of creating a website, keeping it updated, and, and Facebook and Twitter. So, But they eventually went, and, and once they kind of saw the benefit of it, it, it became very easy, and I gotta say, I did have the support of management for Everything I did at times they thought I was a little crazy, but eventually came around in my way of thinking
1: wow, so so you really kind of built it from the ground up with with not a lot to go on and and had to really submerge yourself uh, to figure it all out.
0: Yeah, well, that's the no job before it was the first first time they had a media relations unit, so i uh, I really had which was great because I didn't have to go on somebody else's plan. So it let me go in and start completely new. So they were very open. I had very good supervisors at the time who were very open and knew this had to be done.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm sure with the social media, I have been reading recently. You know how in the beginning we all kind of thought it was a trend, will pass. We don't need to jump on board. And and now uh, look, it's it's part of uh, most people's morning routines, or, or depending on their shift, their afternoon routine. Uh, you know, first thing you check. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. So congrats on uh, implementing that. Uh, and it's still being used, uh, the groundwork that you laid.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now they're, they're doing wonders with it. It's amazing that uh, the job they're doing with now, they're fantastic at it. They're actually probably the experts at it.
1: And it's it's always twofold, right? I mean, we have the communications with, yes, the media, with the public. Um, but I like how you mentioned, you know, internally, uh, we weren't talking to each other either. And, and that's uh, another challenge that... Um, is constantly uh, needing attention. Uh, how do we increase communication uh, internally as, as well? So thank you for mentioning that.
0: No problem. Absolutely perfect.
1: So what about your most memorable moment on the job? I know it's hard to pinpoint one, but but I've got to ask. <laughs> uh, was there was there a specific moment you go back to and, and get really excited about still? I,
0: I think for me, there's there. You're right. There's so many of like you know really funny times, really dramatic times. Uh, But I think that the the terrorists flew into the World Trade Center. It was a terrifying time. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the word terrorist being used. And it really frightened me. It was also the first time that, as a communications expert, that I really questioned if I should be doing this job. And I think a lot of people at that management table at the time kind of questioned, you know, their selves at that point. Because it was a frightening, very frightening time.
1: Yeah, I, I can't even honestly imagine. I mean, what, did you guys sleep? Uh, what was it like being around that table? Well, you know, it's. Um, it, it, well, I, I guess the thing
0: was, people didn't know what this was. We we didn't know was this the beginning of World War III? Uh, where was the next? Because then the Pentagon blew up, and and we didn't know where the next plane was coming and, you know, and we didn't know where, where next was going to be hit. So, you know, the, the public were uh, totally uh, panicking and, and, you know, crisis is one thing the RCMP does really well. We do crisis amazing. Um, it's the everyday stuff that we kind of stumble at. So everybody knew what their job was and was willing to do it. I mean, you train for it all your life. You just kind of hope you never have to do it. But, you know, I think there was a, a, everybody around the table were just kind of looking at each other. And, you know, we were talking to the commissioner who had been talking to the prime minister who had been talking to the president. And we, I'd never seen that chain of command in motion before. So it was something totally new. And at the same time, you know, not only am I the communications media relations person for the RCMP, but I'm, I'm a mother. I have a, you know, a son in kindergarten and I have a daughter who's two years old. I just dropped off at daycare. So you know, part of me is thinking, God, should I go get my kids and hide in the basement, or do I stay here and do my job? And I think that's something we all struggle with as women.
1: Right. And I, well, I'm glad you you noted that because uh, some sometimes, especially with the the public and and their. Uh, opinion or uh, just understanding of officers, they don't see that human side. They don't see the multi dimensions to an officer. And at the end of the day, it's like you said, you're a mom, you're you're another, you're a woman, you're, you're a wife, you're um, a human being uh, with with all these other um, concerns and and you know uh, priorities. Um, so for sure, it's uh, something that uh, you would have to battle the, those those priorities at that time so um, I mean goodness what was uh, was there any lessons learned from that incident uh, that you would do differently Uh, oh
0: my goodness Um, well you know I, when I look back at it, I've never seen anything like it. Because you, you got to imagine now in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, all of a sudden 17,000 international passengers have landed here in the province. And, you know, Gander has 39 planes, St. John's has 21 planes, and I think there was about 16 planes in Stephenville, Goose Bay, and Deer Lake. And, you know, one of the reasons all those planes were sent to Newfoundland and Labrador uh, was to keep them away from the larger centers like Toronto and Montreal because officials didn't. Uh, know if those planes posed a threat. And so they wanted to minimize any potential threat to the large buildings and large centers. So they sent them to Newfoundland. So those planes were sent here with the possibility they could blow up. And our members were, out of course, walking around them. Uh so, you know, this this is something we, like I said, we train our whole career for, and we kind of hope we never have to use. So it did become overwhelming very fast. And it was like drinking water from a fire hose. You know, I'm getting direction from Ottawa. I'm getting direction from my CO, and But I did have this one amazing supervisor at the time. And after one particular meeting, I, I came back to my office, and I was probably just a little white, and, and he came in the office and he he recognized that, and he, he looked at me, and he said, you know, what are the three questions the public will ask you at any emergency? And I said, I don't know, and he said, okay, here it is. Number one, am I safe? Number two, do you know what you're doing? And number three, can I trust you to do it? And he said, now your job is to answer yes to all those three questions, to every reporter, every member of the public who calls you, you answer yes. And it was like a wake-up call. All of a sudden, something snapped in me, and I just went right into motion, and I went right back to my training, and I began to run. And that became my actual communications motto for the rest of my career. No matter what I dealt with, I always, in the middle of any storm, I would sit there in the calm and go, answer the questions. Am I safe? Do you know what you're doing? And can I trust you to do it?
1: Wow, what a, what a profound moment uh, when that supervisor was saying that to you. I love that.
0: Oh yeah, it was, you know, and I think we all recognize that we, we were all feeling the same thing. But, you know, and afterwards he came back to me and, and there was an enormous media response. I mean, within seconds my right. cell phone and my office phone were full. And I actually bring somebody in just to answer the phone. And we're we're literally trying to keep up with the, you know, and for the longest time, there was no information to share because we couldn't share anything. We didn't know what was happening really at the time. We were just going from second to second. So, uh, you know, it, 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 he came in to me at one point and he said, listen, everybody is questioning themselves right now. But he said, I'm telling the same thing to everybody here. You wouldn't be here if you weren't the best at what you could do. So go with that, and and that's kind of kept me. So having that good supervisor keeps me on track, and then realizing that look, I I can do this. I've trained for this. We we do crisis so well, and we train for it every month. And now we're just really doing it for real. Yep.
1: Yep. There you go. So that self-positive talk, right?
0: Oh yeah.
1: Awesome. And, and is that a topic that comes up quite a bit? Uh, you know, from fellow police officers uh, asking you. Um, about you know uh, advice, do you end up uh, reverting back to that story from, from such an overwhelming event? I, I mean, even when you were teaching at the Canadian Police College, um, was your your tactics for, for 9-11 uh, part of the, um, I guess, uh, main um, questions that you get and part of uh, the things that you discuss?
0: Oh, yeah. It was part of the media course. I worked it into. And then also when I talk to communications conferences, I, I use that. And, and I tell the story for two reasons. is For one, because everybody thinks they're the only person who's questioning themselves. And that's not true. So to let people know, look, you're not the only one sitting in that room wondering if you should be there. And two, uh, to talk about the importance of having good leaders. That, you know, that, that person, if he hadn't come in and said that to me, I don't know if I would have done as good a job as I did but having that leader who inspires you and and believes in you is really you know you need that you, you absolutely need that but it's it's also okay to question yourself
1: mm-hmm. yeah you're not alone I love that great great tips and and uh supporting those leaders uh you know um, nourishing the new generation of leaders huge huge uh, conversation right now in law enforcement uh, that's for sure and, and this uh, example just illustrates why it's so important all right um so, Helen, I'm curious. We, we already talked about how communications and media relations has evolved in the RCMP across the board, across the country. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of get your opinion now. Uh, today, 2019, you know, um, I know you're retired from the RCMP, but, but do you see uh, anywhere where we could improve uh, communications from a policing perspective?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, for over 17 years, I was the only consistent person in our communications unit. And 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 now and every now and again I'd get a media relations officer and in the next round of budget cuts, uh, they'd cut the position. You know, it would always be, well, you know, what's our major issue? Is communications. Okay, there's budget cuts. Let's cut communications. And then Six months later, is how come we're not communicating? Well, you have communications, <laughs> and so it was an ongoing issue. And I kept losing positions, and then I'd be on myself for a couple, of, you know, by myself for a couple of years doing media relations, public relations, communicate, uh, social media, trying to keep on. Tired. Uh, they now or five people in the unit, so it took that many people to replace me. So That's really nice. But uh, personally, I think where we need room for improvement is I think we need to do more media training with our members. We're requiring our members to go out and speak to the media every day and tell our story, and it's so important to tell our story because if we don't tell it, somebody else will. But the problem is the members go to depot and probably to other police training centers, and they're never given media relations training. And, they, and there is a real fear that, look, if I say the wrong thing, I can sink an investigation. And that has happened. And or I could be fired if I tell too much. So what can I tell and not get fired while you know maintaining the integrity of an investigation? People need to know this not when they're 20 years into their career. They need that training at depot at the very beginning of their career. They need to know how to write a news release. They need to know what they can and can't say to the media and they need some some training and some a uh, training ground where they can Learn and and do interviews and make mistakes and and be corrected and taught how to do it. You know, and we also I think as a police force we need to stop apologizing for things that that aren't our fault, and we also need to defend ourselves against our critics. And and I don't mean every internet bully that goes on Twitter and goes, oh, the RCMP suck. You know, that's obviously some idiot behind a keyboard. But calling out the people in power who are more interested in getting media likes than defending first responders and that's where we need to stand up as a police force and say no I'm sorry you're a person in power you're a politician uh, and all you're trying to do is get more likes on Facebook and Twitter when you need to defend those people in uniform who are doing their job and putting their lives at risk every day and they need yeah. to be called out for that.
1: A hundred percent I couldn't agree more and, and it kind of relates to uh, a couple years ago I remember the CACP mentioning you know Canadians, we don't do a good job at celebrating um, our law enforcement and the successes there. And of course, there's always room for improvement. Yes, yes, yes. But we don't do a good job at uh, supporting each other and, and celebrating uh, what we're doing right and doing well uh, from a global perspective. So it just uh, it made me think of that as well. And, and yeah, giving the young officers right at Depot the, the tools. Uh, let's give officers as all the tools that they need right from the beginning. I couldn't agree more.
0: Oh, absolutely, and and that's where it has to happen, and I had so many people who would come to my media course and ask them, introduce yourself and tell me how long you've been in the police force, and it would be like 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, and I'm thinking, you, you people should have had this 30 years ago. Like now when you're retiring, you're coming in to, to do a media course. And I would always put the emphasis on the young constables that were just starting, getting them into it. Because those people that are coming into the police force now, they are media savvy. They are social media savvy. They know how to use Facebook and Twitter. Um, and, and you know, but bought, uh. They also, where they lack is they don't know how to use it as a police officer. You know, if you're going to have a, your put every selfie in your of yourself in a uniform up on Facebook or Instagram, then you're never going to be able to do undercover. So understand that right now from the beginning. Uh, So there are implications to putting or putting up something on Facebook to say, what a hard day at work. I've been working on this major investigation. Well, now you just told the media that you are involved in a a crime and they can quote that because you put it in the public. That could be on the cover of your, your provincial paper now. So they have to be told. They need to have the leash pulled back to say, look, and we have strict policies, but they seem to have gone to the side because I see that on Facebook every day. People mm-hmm. putting up stuff and members in uniform holding a, a bottle of beer going, we're celebrating this. Well, that could be used in the cover of the Telegram. The next time you've got to testify at a, a drinking and driving trial,
1: they can bring that up now. Right. Right. One little misstep is, is all it takes and you can't take it back.
0: No, nope. once it's out there, it's out there. And if you don't think that the media, and not only media, organized crime groups, are keeping track of those pictures, and, and you know, remember, they, uh, organized crime do, do surveillance on us as we do surveillance on them. So if you don't think they're printing off the pictures of you and your wife and your kids and everybody yeah. else and keeping track of that, then you're crazy because they are.
1: Wow. Yeah. An important uh, uh, note for sure. With that in mind, I got to ask, so what is your foremost, you know, slice of advice uh, to police officers and and civilian members alike uh, working in media relations departments across the country right now? If you had to pick one top tip? I
0: think go to debriefings and seek out help when you need. You know, people don't realize how stressful it can be to be the media relations officer. Uh, when you're the face of your police force, it's a huge weight to carry. People think it's an easy job and, you know, uh, you, you just get out and you're, you become a little celebrity in your community. But, you, you know, after a while, your coworkers forget and they tend to think that you're working for the media and the media think you're trying to keep. Uh, The truth from them. So the media person carries every file that's going on in the division. And that's a lot of pressure. And I've had two co-workers who were media relations officers who died by suicide. So you need to go to the briefings and talk to somebody about your stress. And it is stressful.
1: Very well said. Yeah. Just be aware of your mental health, guys, and take care of yourselves. Uh, Talk to someone. You're not alone. Uh, Wise words, Helen. Thank you. So we're going to end each episode. We're now doing two fun questions at the end. Uh, So it's going to put you on the spot a little bit, but bear with me. Okay. (laughs) Helen, what is something your former RCMP colleagues uh, might not have known about you while you were working with them?
0: that I was writing crime fillers about them. All the characters in Operation Wormwood and Operation Vanish are marbled and named after police officers that I worked with. <laughs>
1: Fair enough, yeah. That's a, that was a surprise, I suppose. <laughs> All right, well, number two, what is one thing that you couldn't live without?
0: Oh, my family, my husband and my children have uh, been through a lot, you know, I've missed a lot of birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, holidays, like everybody else. And, you know, things I can never get back, but they took it all in stride. And, you know, we did the best with what we had. This year, my husband and I are celebrating our 25th anniversary. Our oldest son is a weapons tech. He was in the Navy and he just got hired away by another company in uh, Victoria, doing an amazing job. My son, my uh, youngest son, is starting law school in Fredericton in September. And my daughter's doing police studies at university. So I think my greatest accomplishment is keeping a marriage together and raising three successful kids while having a career in policing.
1: Yes, amen to that. And congratulations on the anniversary. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That is awesome. Uh, So so I got to ask you before we go, Helen, what's what's next on your blog? Because it is hilarious. Oh thank you. Well the blog, you
0: know, it's funny. I always said I I could write a book about all the stupid things my husband does that that does ticks me off and and then I actually started doing that. <laughs> so the blog is about just everyday life, it's about marriage, it's about kids, it's about, you know, the the way I see the world and it's just a, it actually started as a way uh when I was being counsel for PTSD to uh and said, you know, you're pretty funny and you should uh you should start writing this stuff. And a friend of mine said you should have a blog, and I said, "Yeah, you know, I'll try that." And I was thinking, you know, maybe one or two people may read it. I figured my husband and my best friend would read it, and uh, and then all of a sudden, it's over two hundred thousand people are reading it. So a lot of women have uh, husbands that do a lot of stupid things.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and I love- how it takes me back to, to St. John's. I've only had the pleasure of, of being uh, there once for a weekend to visit a, a very good friend of mine that was uh, going to school at Memorial. But uh, what a unique place, uh, you know, down by the the docks. And, it, and it's in your book, too, the fog that comes in. And uh, I just, I love how you immediately transport, uh, transport people back uh, to that beautiful and special location. So uh, thank you. Oh, thank Welcome
0: you. We are in God's country. They say Newfoundland is the tip of Atlantis. It's a magical place. People come here and they never leave. And, uh, you know, we do have an amazing culture. We're a mixture of Irish, Scottish, English. We're a culture of a melting pot of everything. And, of course, you know, they don't make Broadway shows about just anybody. So, you know, the fact that we have a Broadway show about our kindness. Uh, it says a lot about us.
1: It certainly does. Yeah. And and how that show is still running, right? Uh, it's all there. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Winning all the awards. It's still running. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Well, Helen, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story, your passions, a little bit more detail on your books uh, with Blue Lines listeners. I am looking forward into jumping into uh, McNaughton's Shoes for Operation Vanish. That's for sure. Digging up some uh, of the past, uh, in that book so happy writing and please keep us posted on what you're up to next perfect i
0: will thank you
1: thank you all right just a note to our listeners operation vanished published by flanker press is available at indigo.ca amazon.com barnes and noble and Kobo, and on many other platforms as well we hope you enjoyed this episode of blue line the podcast thank you to everyone listening especially those protecting our communities stay safe everybody
0: Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement.